This is a Federal News Network podcast. For nearly a century, the FAA has maintained air traffic control for things that fly close to Earth. Well, now NASA is getting a handle on safe operations in space, where the population of satellites is growing fast. Joining me with more on its new best practices handbook, Technical Program Manager Joshua Craigie. Mr. Craigie, good to have you on. Good morning. So this book has a pretty direct, easy-to-understand title, NASA Spacecraft Conjunction Assessment and Collision Avoidance Best Practices Handbook. Tell us what this is designed to do and how it was all put together. So when satellites are put into space, we have a variety of coordination measures to make sure that when we're approaching another spacecraft operator, another satellite, that we can make sure that we understand where we are with respect to each other and avoid a conjunction or inadvertent collision. So we put the handbook together to really guide ourselves at first, and then we realized it had some broader applicability, perhaps across the industry, in helping explain how we approach the problem. Because this industry is getting increasingly commercial and increasingly international, too, isn't it? It's very exciting to watch all the new operators participate. What about the secondary question of debris in space besides operational satellites? I understand there's a lot of junk up there which NASA also tracks. Is that part of this handbook? The the debris is another type of space object that we will try and avoid, of course. Debris is a very large problem, and we are trying to work with all of the space industry to reduce the amount of debris out there and to find ways to be more creative in both preventing new debris, but also to make sure we understand where it is and avoid any negative effects from that. And just for the layman, in a particular orbit band, low Earth orbit, high Earth orbit, you know, the space station is one orbit, weather satellites are in different orbits. There are several zones that satellites operate in. Within those orbit zones, is everybody precisely the same height or could it be plus or minus 20 miles high? Right. Within a low Earth orbit, for example, there could be a a wide variety of altitudes, as we refer to them, for different spacecraft. So it could be anywhere from 400 kilometers in space up to seven or 800 kilometers before we get into some of the other zones of orbits. So that means not everything within a zone is going the same speed. Right. Everything, even at the same altitude, we might have different satellites oriented in different ways in the Earth orbit. Some might be going from equatorial orbit, some might be going in a polar orbit over the north and south poles, or some variety across those. So every orbit is just a little bit different, and the accumulation gives us the interesting challenge at different speeds, different altitudes, why this is kind of a complex problem for all of us to work through. In other words, there's a million variables operating, and it's not as if everything's in the same band going the same speed in the same direction, in other words. From the perspective of an observer, everything seems to be moving in a kind of a different direction, different speed, different height. So it's a three-dimensional game of understanding where everything is going and trying to predict that far enough ahead that we can make effective decisions around that. It's almost like you have thousands of cars driving across the Bonneville salt flats at kind of random and hoping they don't hit one another. Absolutely. If you add the on-ramps, exit ramps, and all the other ramps in between. All right. And then I wanted to ask you about something mentioned in one of the best practices in the handbook very early is to get an account for spacetrack.org for owners and operators. What is that? Is that something operated by the government or is it an international cooperation? What is it? Spacetrack.org is managed out of the U.S. Space Command, the 18th Space Control Squadron. They provide the space situational awareness mission for the U.S. government, but also they provide that service out to anyone that would like to have an account. So any space operator can register for an account on that website 
and get access to the free services that DOD provides to help provide information about what other operators are doing in space and help them bring their uh, awareness to conjunctions and ensure that all that is taken care of. We're speaking with Joshua Craigie. He's a technical program manager at NASA. And so this handbook gives a lot of best practices, which we, you know, they're detailed and they're technical. A satellite operator, though, once they have something, an asset operating and revolving in space, what can they do to avoid conjunctions? What does the handbook advise them that's possible such that they can keep their services going but also avoid conjunctions? Well, actually, the very first thing is to plan well ahead of launching and operating in space. We encourage a lot of planning, a lot of pre-coordination. Once objects are in space, then the focus shifts to coordinate with other operators. Be aware of what's going on around you, coordinating your maneuver plans, watching what other operators are doing, and cross-sharing that information with every operator so we can all find a way to avoid any kind of negative effects in space. And getting to the handbook itself, Was this a strictly NASA effort? Was it a NASA and DOD effort? Or were international and commercial partners involved in the creation of it? The current version of the handbook is based off a purely governmental effort. We work closely with several of our federal partners, including Space Command, to make sure that we had their insight, made sure we were reflecting their interest, for for example, at spacetrack.org properly. And we are hoping that additional parties, both international and commercial, will share their thoughts and their feedback on what we have provided. Because I imagine, say, in countries like India and, you know, other emerging nations that have space assets and are launching satellites, this all happens below the whatever the international politics might be. And it's just technical people wanting to make sure everything works together. Do you expect countries like, say, India? And what about China? Would they also be involved in future versions and making sure that everybody's together on the same page here? Well, we'd hope they at least consider what we have put out as a potential starting point. How come we haven't had more conjunctions already? Or do we have them regularly? We just don't know about them. The number of conjunctions is relatively high. The number of dangerous conjunctions is relatively low. But as the number of satellites that increase, that's going to change over time and become a bigger problem. So we haven't had as big of a challenge to date only because we've been proactive in monitoring that and taking actions such as making a maneuver when a dangerous conjunction is predicted. So a conjunction means they actually touch, not just coming close. Potentially, yes, depending on the, on the, on the severity of it, absolutely. And how does NASA monitor that? Because there's so many objects, both pieces and operating satellites. There must be numbering in the hundreds of thousands by now. NASA relies primarily on DOD's uh, U.S. SpaceCom, the 18th Space Control Squadron. They maintain their space fence, their space surveillance system, that provides the, the most consolidated database of larger debris objects, as well as active satellites and things around the Earth. So we're relying very heavily on that to understand where things are and use them in our calculations for the predictions for making sure we don't have a problem. And is there, a say, a maturity model, so to speak, that might apply to different operators? Because you have people that have been operating satellites for 50, 60 years that do telecommunications and polar Earth weather observation, you know, sophisticated users. Are some of these new ones that are launching fleets of little tiny ones by the hundreds and all of this, is there a kind of a learning curve as an operator where you reach a point where you get serious about these conjunctions and and the long-term effects of all this? Absolutely. And that's what we hope the handbook will help lead other operators that perhaps may not have thought through all of that or want to know where to start, how to get started and what a mature model might look like. And of course, we are interested in learning how we could might mature our own practice as well. 
All right, so the handbook is out. It's in digital form. I've read a few pages of it and kind of got lost, although it's fairly understandable for the layman. What do you do with it? What happens? How are you promulgating it? Well, we are making it available and just sharing it through industry forums and through our engagements with the various partners and, and groups that we already talked to. All right. So you're optimistic that uh, conjunctions or crashes, I guess is the lay term for it, can be avoided long term with these kinds of practices? We definitely believe that would be the case. And just one detail question. How small is the debris that might be up there? And can a very tiny piece of debris harm a very large satellite? Absolutely. Debris ranges in all shapes and sizes. Right now, we can track down to about a softball size object but there are much smaller objects that can still cause significant damage to a satellite. I guess at the right speed, even a tiny screw can go through a thin-skinned object. Exactly. Very small debris can potentially impact a satellite at over 10,000 kilometers per second, which is where the kinetic energy causes the damage. Got it. All right. Well, let's hope it doesn't happen. Joshua Craigie is a technical program manager at NASA. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank you. We'll post this interview along with a link to the handbook at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and... Well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.